Last Thursday was our gala opening here at Salt and Light. As many of you know, we have moved into a new building and so everything is about new beginnings. But at the same time, it's making me think about what it means to be salt and light. I like that message because it is not a particularly religious message. It's not a hokey message about love and it doesn't even mention God or sin or morality. It's very secular. Be salt and light in the world. We live in a world that is quite often in darkness. Just think of the Manchester bombing or what's been going on in Syria or in the Middle East. Think of the crisis in Sudan. Many people's lives are shrouded in darkness because of addiction, abuse, despair, fear, suffering, illness, loneliness. And how do we combat that darkness? With light. But you know, those cases may be extreme. Most people are not in desperate darkness. Most people just go through life from day to day trapped in the mundaneness of life, that same ordinary existence. They are good people and maybe they're even happy, but their lives have lost meaning. They're, they've lost purpose and drive. They've lost their taste. How do we give these bland lives some flavor, spice, excitement, warmth and direction? With salt. Salt is the flavor that spices up life. It is not a lot of salt that is needed, just a dash. And not a lot of light is needed to dispel the darkness. Just one little match. So let's share that secular message. Let's season the world with the flavor of the gospel. And may our lives be shining examples of Jesus Christ, who is the true light of the world. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. I'm Emily Callen. I'm Billy Chan. And we want people to write to us. That's going to be a, the message that we say every day. Our late motif. Our every week. day? Yes, every every, every week. <laughs> write to us, every write week, to us, write to us, write to us, do it now. Um, we have a jam-packed show today, guys. Um, Emily, news, any headlines? We had some important I things mean, happening some pretty this week. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Donald Trump... The U.S. President, uh, yes. Donald Trump, met with Pope Francis. Um, I mean, that's kind of like the big headline from this week, but I will talk yeah. about other things as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, the, come, yeah. No, I was going to say there was a headline because on Thursday night, we had our official gala opening here at Salt and Light. Oh, yeah. It's not really like a news item, but I mean, maybe news. some news organizations covered it. <laughs> um, I, I don't know, but I was there. And it was good. So and was I. Th the food was good. Billy, were you there? Mm -hmm. Me too. Of yeah, course. We, of course we were there. So and, was the and, water. And I'm sure there's lots on social media. So people can go to our Facebook page and Twitter and, and see about our, our gala and, all, and all, all our VIP guests that were there. Um, so you're going to talk about Donald Trump yes. going to see the Pope. Yes, exactly. There's another uh, leader who's going to meet who's going to meet on Pope Monday. Francis on Monday. Our uh -huh. own, our very own Justin Trudeau. Yes. Um, so... No news about that. I, you know, it hasn't happened yet. But uh, so that's yeah. So so our prime minister is going to be seeing the Pope on yes. Monday. Um, Billy, you are back with Church for Dummies. We're going to continue giving people tips on making the mass more interesting. Correct. Yes. You know, I didn't finish yet. I think I can do it for like ten times. Yeah, probably. <laughs> So, you know, we, we should actually continue that. Uh, yeah, so we're going to continue on. making yes. that. We should involve Emily. I have suggestions. Emily, Emily can come. <laughs> yeah, Emily can stay and do Church for Dummies <laughs> one day. So if she has su suggestions, that I make them. But we need people to write to us with uh, suggestions as to how to make mass less boring. It's the 10th time. The 10th time. But, but, but disclosure, I actually don't find mass boring. Congratulations. <laughs> 
that, that means that <laughs> congratulations. No, that means that Emily is doing some of the things that we talked about last yes, week. Probably correct. she's preparing. She's reading the readings ahead of time. Maybe she understands well. She understands well what yeah. why we do certain things, and maybe yeah. the music is not terrible in your parish. Well, are you at the cathedral? No, I do go to the cathedral. Okay. That's true. It is yeah. beautiful, the cathedral. You need to come to my parish. We have good preaching, good deacons, <laughs> good deacons <laughs> preaching, and good music. Um, Sebastian is back today. Um, and he, in Connect 5, will be talking with uh, uh, Massimo Fagioli. Do you guys know who that is? Yeah. Emily, who is. Do you, so he's a, a professor of uh, theology. You guys are laughing because <laughs> Massimo Fagioli. I thought he was. No, because like, you were asking me who he is. And I'm like, I know who he is. And I'm like, ah, I don't remember what he does. <laughs> <laughs> He's a leading expert on Vatican II, yes. on the Second Vatican Council. Mm-hmm. So Sebastian uh-huh. and uh, Massimo will be speaking about the parallels between the Second Vatican Council and the ministry of Pope Francis. That's at the at the end of our first half hour. And y- you can tell that I'm like trying to whiz through all this because I actually want to talk to you about, you know, like the, our featured topic this week um, which we're going to be speaking uh, about in our second half hour with author Matt Frad that you yes. maybe have heard mm-hmm. of. Emily has. Matt Frad is a speaker and author. He just wrote a book titled The Porn Myth, Exposing the Reality Behind the Fantasy of Pornography. The Fantasy. <laughs> oh, Billy's questioning already. So you need to listen to the interview and you need to read the book because, of course, there are people who might think that pornography is good and healthy. And uh, Healthy? Matt Frad would say that a lot of those are myths. Mm-hmm. Yes. No comment. You guys are like very silent. No, I, I, do pornogra- com- I do not know how to comment that, you know, to be honest. I mean, you know, what do you think? No, I mean, I, I agree. <laughs> I, I've actually, I, I had the chance to listen, uh, many, many years ago, I had the chance to listen to Matt Frad speak. He yeah. gave a talk. Oh, I was in Ottawa and he gave a, uh, a talk on pornography. And um, yeah, I mean, I was blown away by it. It's Okay, um, just listen to this because I think yeah. that some people would say that it's a pro- 40 million adults in the United States regularly visit pornographic websites mm-hmm. and I think regularly is like a couple times a week mm-hmm. 25% of web searches you should know this Billy because you're a web genius 25% of web searches on Google are for pornography I actually find that low I would think it was higher every second over $3,000 are spent on pornography every second $3,000 that's, wow. that's $97 billion worldwide every year um, there's 100,000 child pornography websites worldwide, oh. and child porn generates $3 billion a year. I mean, I, there's a, a ton. I'm gonna, we're going to talk about a lot yeah. of these statistics later, but um, yeah. So I think this is going to be a conversation. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, some of these myths about pornography and uh, also giving hope because I know that uh, some men, maybe women struggle. too, struggle. Women struggle. Actually, there's um, there's another – there's there's a um, – someone that I've I've followed on Facebook and uh, she also um, she talks about the struggle of pornography for as a woman for women yeah, yeah exactly. which I think because is also think, yeah. a myth that we think that it's something, oh, that's, it's something that's only, only for, for men I think but, yeah. and it is generally mostly men but more and more we're, we're hearing about women who struggle and, mm-hmm. and they use the word struggle and they use the word addiction mm-hmm. um, so that's going to be with Matt Frad coming up in our second half hour so you want to listen to that conversation and and uh, our featured artist this week uh, you guys have heard of the Camino of course the Camino yeah. of Santiago mm-hmm. so have you done it? no no, no. I'd love dream, to do it dream though it's okay dream. well our featured artist of the week is a cellist he's a cello player who walked the Camino with his cello mm. how cool is that? wow 
Hakuza, so he's had the cello like as Wait a backup. Wait a second. He walked the Camino with his cello. What about the rest of his stuff? <laughs> well, he, he had, I don't know, a backpack and a cello. I don't know. You need to, so this is a actually. Cello and underwear. That's all I need to survive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. A- anyway. Okay. That's, that's <laughs> at Emmy Callan. Where do you put your underwear? <laughs> Ask Where Emily. do you put it? Okay, guys. In the cello? Cello. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So, just, I'm con- there's, you know, basic needs. So <laughs> some people need their cello. Um, or um, their underwear. Yeah, so he walked. So so Dane Johansson is this professional cello player. He walked the Camino. And his pilgrimage is part of a film that is titled Strangers on the Earth. And it was part of the Hot Docs Festival. Mm. Um, so he's uh, we're going to be speaking with Dane Johansson at the end of the program. Um, so he's going to tell us. I'm, I'm going to ask. Emily wants to know <laughs> How? if you had the backpack. Where, where was our, your other stuff? Um, so that's going to be uh, inside the cello, up. inside the Everything. cello case, maybe you possibly you can pack yeah, it in with true. underwear. Anyway, so that's at the end of the program. Um, but he's a cello player, so that means that the music for this program might be a little unusual for the Salt and Light Hour because we're going to listen to some of those cello pieces that are part of the soundtrack mm-hmm. of the film. So we're going to begin with one of those pieces. Here's uh, Dane Johansson playing his cello from the soundtrack of Strangers on the Earth. This is the prelude of Bach's suite number six for cello in D major. We just heard a section of Bach's suite number six in D major, prelude for cello, performed by Dane Johansson. That's from the soundtrack of the film Strangers on the Earth. And we're going to be speaking with Dane Johansson in our second half hour. But first, Emily is still here with our news. Yes, exactly. Uh, So as I was saying, um, one of the headlines this week was definitely the Pope meeting president of the United States, uh, Donald Trump. Um, it was a highly anticipated meeting. I mean, a lot of people were talking about it as it, you know, just before it was happening. And um, we, the press release that the Vatican uh, 
release this week essentially said that their meeting lasted 30 minutes um his wife was there melania trump as well as his daughter uh, ivanka and then um another you know a, a, f- a full delegation uh, was accompanying the president. Uh, so behind closed doors, um, the Pope and Donald Trump uh, spoke about, you know, things that they share in common. Um, they spoke about religious freedom, the freedom of conscience as well, the right to life. So those were all things that um, where they found common ground. Um, the Pope did express that his desire for um, the Catholic Church and uh, the government in the United States to work closer together for things like health care, uh, mm-hmm. receiving migrants, uh, you know, migrants to the country. Um, the pers- persecution of Christians in the Middle East, right? So on matters of international affair, um, uh, they also, yeah, touched upon those uh, those topics as well. Um, except no, so so that was that was it. I mean, as we know, when there is a meeting between the Pope and an official, right. uh, area head of state, um, we we never know really the details of of yeah. that meeting. Um, but we do know that for for Pope Francis, his you know, specific goal when he first meets a head of state is to establish a relationship. He's ready to welcome anyone who asks him uh, to have uh, an audience with him. And so his main goal is really to to establish a relationship and then build on that later on. So who knows, maybe he'll get to meet uh, U.S. President Donald Trump again and, and yes, go probably. a little bit deeper into. Hopefully. Um, yeah. So that was that was uh, on Wednesday. And then um Another thing that happened, so um, uh, the Pope announced a consistory in June. So um, as is kind of like his custom or is like maybe not surprising of Pope Francis to do this, but uh, it was unexpected. He did this after the Regina Celli on Sunday and he uh, appointed or named five new cardinals to um, four out of those five countries actually have never had a cardinal before. So um those uh, the bishops that um, that he named one from El Salvador, uh, from Sweden, Stockholm. So, actually, the the bishop in Sweden is the only bishop of the country. Yeah, that's great. Um, that's great. And uh, also another one from Mali, from Laos, and from Spain. Great. Um, so yeah, so June 29th, uh, 28th, sorry, mm-hmm. five new cardinals for the church, and. The Pope also made a statement or sent, uh, you know, his condolences to um, to people in Manchester. So there was an attack, as we know, um, after a concert and which killed over 20 people. And I think 60 were injured. Uh, So the Pope. I think 119 was the final number. There you go. Okay, so um, so so the Pope just, you know, shared his his prayers and that, you know, he was in solidarity with all those who were affected, especially um, the grieving families. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes. And in Canada, there was like there. I think it's every two years. There's a multi-jeunesse or a youth summit is what it's called. Hundreds of young people between the ages of 18 and 35 gathered um, gathered in the city. Um, as we know, the uh, bishop of the di- of that city is Monseigneur Luc Cyr. The theme this year was debout, so get up. Yes. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's usually talks, and um, and there's there was a rock concert mm-hmm. as well for the students. Usually on the, so it was on the last night. Um, yeah, so just a great a great opportunity for for young people to get together and to uh, to just recharge. Yeah, it's good. Montejones, yeah. that's one of the 
main youth gatherings in Canada and the whole country. Yeah. Um, thank you, Emily Callan. Emily, who you can watch every Friday on her show, Vatican Connections. Uh, it's also easy to find if you are not in Canada or do you not uh, have access to our cable television network. You can find that program on our website, saltandlighttv.org, and also on our Roku channel. Hey, Audrey Assad here from Nashville, Tennessee, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can stay in touch with what's happening on this show by following me on Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM. And now it's time for Church for Dummy. So all this time that we Emily and I were doing the news, Billy was I'm reading <laughs> Billy was reading the porn myth by Matt Fratt. So that's coming up. It's um, very interesting. Very interesting. For those who really want to know more about porns, I think um, you know, this is a really good book to pick, it is, pick it, it up. It is. So, yeah. and, and you can stick around and listen to the interview later on in the show uh, with Matt Frad uh, coming up. But first, Church for Dummies, we're still making the mass less boring. More interesting. More interesting because yes, it's not boring. It's not boring at all. You know, um, after last time, uh, somebody actually heard this, uh, listened to the show. Oh, yeah. And, uh, oh, yes. Oh, yes. And, and they actually tell me that, um, uh, ask me a question. Really? Yeah, the question is, um, do you still find mass boring sometimes? Even, even after you've even done... Even after I've done this. Yeah. Okay. I would say, my my answer will be, um, if I don't do it, I will definitely find that boring. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes it's not easy to keep it up. I mean, you know, let, let's say, you know, sometimes I have a really bad mood uh-huh. before I going out to mass. Right. And I, I it's hard... It's very hard for me to say, it's important, you need to go, it's important, you need to go. Yeah. But, you know, some, I, I, it's a journey. It is. But you know what? I'm going to say that you can get to the point where it's never boring. I, I, I'm a deacon. Sometimes I'm serving at Mass. I thought you cannot I, say that it's boring, right? No, no. <laughs> I think that I can get distracted yes. during Mass, but I don't think I can say that okay. I ever find it boring. <laughs> because if I'm distracted, I'm distracting. But when I'm paying attention, I, but I know what's happening. Yeah. So I think that yeah. if you prepare enough, yes. it'll come a time where you actually don't have to consciously prepare all the time because you're, you'll be in perpetual prepared mode yes always so def- definitely so right. you know let us repeat a little bit of yes. what so we what did have you say said. last week you know we said you know tell yourself it is important yes and uh, put it as a you know no matter what reason you put yeah they are all good reason to go to mass yeah or celebrate mass you know remember yes, that like I said, we yes. said you know we, we, we are not only going to mass we want to celebrate mass yes okay and uh, uh, the simplest answer is you're going to Mars because of uh, Jesus for love because you want love yes you you it's not only no. you want love you 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 go for love or you go because you love because you love as well uh huh because you want love you want to be loved and you want to be loved yeah okay yeah you know yeah. you know is this is another uh-huh. I think it's another uh-huh. section yes. of yes. church yes. for dummy where yes. we define God is love yeah that'll be another <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> yes okay the second thing is about preparation. So, you know, just like any other thing, for example, if you go to uh, have dinner with your parents, yeah, or you, you need to prepare. I don't know if you will, maybe, mm. yeah, I, okay, I will prepare something. You know, I will first of all, for me, for myself, I will prepare uh, where w- what do I want to uh, 
uh, to eat, right. you know, uh, where we will go, something like that. You know, you, you need to prepare something. At least think about it. Yeah. For example, if you go to uh, a cinema, uh-huh. watch a movie. Yeah. I will watch watch the trailer first. Ah, at least. Right. You know, you I will I will go uh, uh, buy a ticket. Actually, it's true. Sometimes I'll even read a movie review. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, you, it's true. Read the review. Sometimes if there is a book that you have read before, you want to reread it. A, a so we bit. should watch the mass trailer. Uh, if there is one, if that would be great. If there was a trailer, we should we should watch it. Um, I would say you know read the readings before you go to mass. Ah. Um, that that's because there is a lot of relationship between the readings and yeah. the gospels and the uh, responsorial psalm, right? Yeah. So, um, uh, and at that moment. You you may have a lot of question. Uh-huh. For example, you do not understand, you know, or you you want to to know more. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can write something down. Maybe it's too much to ask people to write something down for for the readings. But right. you you can try to write something down. For example, the questions. Uh-huh. Um, now what do you want to know? Okay. Right. This one thing. The the second thing is, uh, prepare a prayer. Okay. Okay, I think you may want to explain a little bit uh, of it because when when the priest said, yeah. "Let's pray," yes, is it is it something that we should prepare before? Um, um, it's an interesting idea. I've never thought about it the way you're explaining it, okay. but I think it makes sense the way you're explaining it because what I think is that we come to mass every Sunday with all our with like you know you go on Sunday you bring everything everything that you live that week you're bringing with you whether you're thinking about it or not so all the trials all the struggles all the difficulties all your all the joys of the week everything you're bringing right yes and so that is what I think you're offering at that mass yes so that offering I would call it yes. an offering you're calling it a prayer so that's your prayer yeah, that's so it. this mass I offer so when the priest says at the beginning of mass let us pray that's called the collect prayer mm. and it's called the collect, collect because he's collecting all the oh. prayers of all the people so when the priest says let us pray there should be a moment of silence so that everybody can pray in silence and that's then the why. priest collects all those prayers with the words that are in the in the missal and then offers up those prayers to Christ. So so oh. we need to make the prayer that's in the missal our prayer by having a moment. And you're right. It's easier to do if you've already prepared what you're offering no, but the I, mass I for. I mean, you have to prepare. The reason okay, is Okay, not this. if. Okay, yeah, he's <laughs> right. If. Good point. You have to prepare because the, the priest usually not giving no you five seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you may want to prepare that. Yeah, that's and good point. do it right away. Yeah. The last thing I want to talk about yeah. is about sometime we may want to do a confession yeah before okay. before going to mass i had uh, an experience that after i did the confession i i was so happy yeah and i was so i i i'm so happy to go to mass and get that communion the host yeah and it's it's a completely different experience huh. i don't know if you if you if you find that but uh uh, uh this is one thing that we we want to we right. should actually right, do. right, and even, I mean, obviously, you have to go to confession if you feel that you're, if you feel, if you are, <laughs> for sure, in a state of mortal sin. Uh, oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But you even should. if you're not, we know that going to confession is a healthy thing, and and and, and a lot of people practice confession. Um, some people will go every Sunday before Mass. I'm not saying you like, have to. Like uh, St. John Paul II. Yeah, well, he would he go every day. Every, oh, every day? I heard that he went every day. I heard that he goes every week. Every week? Well, there you go. <laughs> I mean, if it's good enough for St. John Paul II, it's good enough for me. Of course. Okay, Billy. So, uh, read the readings. Write down questions. If you have any questions about the readings, write a prayer. 
and confession. go to confession. So those are three, four things that you should be doing uh, before you go to mass. And next week or next time, I'm not sure if it's next week, but we'll continue. Definitely. Um, uh, tips on making mass more interesting with Billy Chan here at uh, Church for Dummies. Thank you, Billy. Thank you. Billy Chan is a former radio host, uh, and he's our web guru here at Salt and Light Media. You can follow him and send him questions at Chan. Hi, I'm Amanda Vernon, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. How are you going to spend the next five minutes of your time? How about listening in, meeting a fascinating person, and learning something relevant that will broaden your perspective? Sit down with Sebastian Gomes and go straight to the heart of the matter. Here's Connect 5. Today, Sebastian speaks with leading Vatican II expert Massimo Fagioli about the parallels between the Council and Pope Francis's papacy. Massimo Fagioli, it's great to have you here on Connect 5, a fellow church historian, so we have a lot in common, but we also have a great love for the Second Vatican Council, and that's really what I want to talk to you about today. And specifically, uh, the connection you see between the Council and Pope Francis, because it seems like since Pope Francis arrived on the scene in 2013, it's been like an embodiment of all the things that we studied theoretically about the Council and historically about the Council. What's the similarity or the bridge that you see between the two of them? Well, there are many similarities. The first one is between Pope John, who called Vatican II in 1959, and Pope Francis. Uh, their careers, their formation, their spiritual crisis, uh, their physicality, their body. So that's one reason. The second reason is the, the sense that they both have, and Pope John and Pope Francis, that the, the church needed to catch up with some delay uh, between church culture and the secular culture, not in terms of adjusting or adapting or adopting everything, but to understand better what modern secular culture is. And so Pope John called Vatican II and Pope Francis called the Synod on the family 2014-2015, but if you go through Pope Francis speeches, messages, documents, there's a red line with Vatican II often, if not always, especially the most important document that Pope Francis uh, quotes of the Second Vatican Council is the opening speech of the Second Vatican Council of October 62, when Pope John says, it's time to rediscover the medicine of mercy, and it's time not to look back at the past with nostalgia. So this is Pope John and this is Pope Francis. There are very, very interesting uh, parallels between those two. How do you see the theology, ecclesiology of Vatican II being lived out and implemented by Pope Francis? It's very interesting because uh, one of the most important documents of the Second Vatican Council that Pope Francis quotes directly or indirectly often is the last document of the Council, the Gaudium et Spes, the constitution on the church in the modern world, uh, which is the recapitulation of everything that Vatican II said in terms of a, a new vision of the church on the world. So what Pope Francis calls uh, le periferie, uh, going to the peripheries, at the time of the Second Vatican Council was still in Latin ad extra. What is typical of Francis is his ability to be concrete and practical and see the hour, 
our adextra, our peripheries right now are identifiable in some places, in some situations. That's his way of, of uh, uh, making Vatican II relevant for the church of today, not something that is just a thing of the past. Mm. There are people in the church who are not particularly thrilled with the direction that the church is going. Do you see uh, similarities there between that group of people, the critical-minded people of Francis, and the, the same people who are critical of the council? What is interesting is that in both cases, for, for Pope John and Pope Francis, the criticisms have been much more visible for their documents that have a political impact. For, for Pope John Pachiminteris on peace and on human rights, and for Pope Francis on the environment and on the economy. So that tells me that uh, their criticism is more political and cultural than theological. That's something that they have in common. And it says uh, something on the, the fact that there's very little theological criticism that you can exercise against this, this pope. It's a lack of trust in where these papal politics leads to. So they're afraid of a radical change in the shape of the Catholic Church in, the, in this global world, which is happening. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is part of the natural way of the papacy to work within the church. And Pope Francis, just like John, just continues to go forward, it seems. So that's the direction that, uh, that we're headed. Massimo Fagioli, thanks very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was Sebastian Gomes speaking with Massimo Fagioli, expert on the Second Vatican Council. You can watch this and more interviews at saltandlighttv.org slash connect5. Coming up in our second half hour, debunking the pornography myth and walking the Camino de Santiago with a cello, a conversation with Dane Johansson, so stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Did you know that there are 40 million adults in the United States who regularly visit pornographic websites? 25% of web searches on Google are for pornography. Every second, over $3,000 are spent on pornography. That's over $97 billion world, worldwide every year. $13 billion comes from the U.S. Did you know that there are 100,000 child porn websites worldwide and that child pornography generates $3 billion each year? There are 4.2 million pornography websites on the internet, and every second, over 25,000 internet users are viewing pornography. And 47% of Christians claim that pornography is a major problem in their home. Some may say that pornography is healthy and good, but my next guest wants to expose the myth that pornography is good, or at least not bad. In his new book, The Porn Myth, Author Matt Frad hopes to debunk most commonly held beliefs about pornography, and today he joins us here on the Salt and Light Hour. Matt Frad, welcome to the program. G'day, thank you for having me on. Good, so um, let's cut to the chase. How would you define pornography? That's a great question. Uh, pornography, here's a, here's a rough kind of definition. I'd say it's material that depicts erotic behavior with the intention of sexually arousing. Okay. So that would include things like Fifty Shades of Stupid, Braille <laughs> pornography, audio pornography. Right, you know, right. Is, yeah, 
So right, and I guess I guess that people who 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 maybe disagree with some some of the ideas that are in the book would say, well, how do you know people's intent when they're creating that? What I guess some people would even call right. It art, so maybe right? I could modify the definition, therefore, and say that uh, pornography is material that depicts erotic behavior that is either intended to sexually arouse or generally has that effect. Right, right. Now, what and so this, this is clearly different to naked art. No yes, one yes. gets caught masturbating in museums to statues no, or not. beautiful yes. paintings. They don't elicit that sort of... That sort of response, um, yeah. ...desire. Right. Now, so what do you say to people who would say that, what's the problem? Pornography is healthy and normal. What's the problem with pornography? Well, there's a number of problems with pornography. Whenever we consider the rightness or wrongness of a particular, say, action, in this right. instance, we might wish to focus solely on the consumption of pornography. Yeah. We can say why it's wrong in and of itself or why it's wrong because of its consequences. Yeah. And in this book, given that it's a non-religious response to mm -hmm. pro-porn argument, mm -hmm. I focus a great deal on why it's wrong because of its consequences. Right. So maybe we'll begin there. Yeah, so what are the effects? I think that pornography has a deleterious effect on the consumer, on the consumer's relationships, and on society at large. And I think that there's been a lot of evidence that's been coming out of academia over the last mm -hmm. 20, 30 years that, uh, that backs that up. And right. that there isn't comparably good evidence to think otherwise. Right. Maybe, maybe. Um, of course, I want people to read the book, so I don't want to go through everything. But what are? Give me an example. Like, why would it be damaging to marriages, for example? Right. So uh, there's been a number of studies that have showed that even moderate pornography consumption of quote unquote vanilla porn, that mm -hmm. is to say, you know, nothing to what we might consider uh, aggressive uh, or perverted, just very simple pornography, perhaps a Playboy centerfold or something, This ha there's been studies that have shown that this leads people to think less of their partner's physical affection, right. uh, physical appearance, and so forth. Uh, there's been other studies that have showed that those who use pornography regularly are more open to things like committing adultery. Mm -hmm. So I think, but I mean, I'm not even sure we need hard and fast evidence for this. It seems rather logically obvious to me. I mean, if I'm going to uh, watch other people engage in an act that ought to be held within marriage, um, then, of, then of course it's going to kind of compete right. for my attention and I'm going to begin to think of these sorts of actions uh, to, be, to be okay and to be exciting and something that I might wish to partake in uh, in in a real sense, other than just consuming it visually. Right, right. You also in the book uh, make a connection between pornography and sexual dysfunction. Right. What what would so, be the connection? Yeah, there's been a lot of studies that have come out that have shown this. Uh, for example, Dr. Abraham Morgenthaler is the clinical urologist at Harvard Medical School. Mm -hmm. He kind of made this uh, popular. What he calls porn-induced erectile dysfunction. That is when a man consumes pornography uh, and then discovers that he cannot achieve and maintain an erection with a real woman. Mm -hmm. uh, Norman, Norman Doidge, who wrote the book The Brain That Changes Itself, actually says this is less like erectile dysfunction and more like impotency because with erectile dysfunction, the problem has to do with blood flow, 
but with impotency, right. porn-induced impotency, the problem isn't below the belt, it's between the it's ears. It's in the brain, yes. Time magazine had a front cover article last year on the detrimental effects pornography has on its consumers, and they cited several studies mm-hmm. that talk about the, incredibly, uh, the incredible rate uh, in which we're seeing people uh, who consume pornography getting erectile dysfunction. Now, right. someone might say, well, couldn't it be that it's just due to anxiety, or mm-hmm. something. Maybe there are other factors. But the problem with that is we have tens of thousands of testimonies online of men who say, look, I've tried to be with my girlfriend, okay, couldn't get an erection. I go back, I open up my computer, I can. Right. And you still might say, well, maybe it's anxiety. Well, no, mm. because they can't get an erection without looking at pornography, even if they try to masturbate without it. Yeah. We're seeing similar dysfunction, sexual dysfunction in women who may be able to climax but the climax isn't at all as strong or as powerful or as enjoyable uh, as it was or as it is when they quit porn. Right. Now, the book is called The Porn Myth. So, of course, you in it are debunking myths. Uh, I think you just helped us debunk uh, two of them. But let's do a few more. Um, what are some of the myths, for example, people that say, well, I'm not hurting anyone? Right. Well, I mean... Um, it's, I just don't think that's true. I think already we've shown that pornography hurts ourselves right. by perhaps leading to addiction, erectile dysfunction, relationship breakdown. I think those are a few ways in which pornography hurts us. Is there a myth? The that... other way it hurts people is those in the industry. Right, I was going to you know, ask We you. tend to have this um, unrealistic view uh, an untrue view that those in the industry are just well-rounded individuals right. who find their work liberating. But uh, as I have a whole couple of chapters in the book that recounts the stories of men and women in the industry, very often that's far from the truth, that when a woman, for example, decides to become a pornography performer, it is perhaps her choice. Sometimes it isn't, but for the most part, let's say perhaps it is her choice. But in a sense, it's actually because of her lack of choices right. that she ends up doing this. You right. know, no little girl grows up saying, well, that's what I want to do. And if they had another option, they'd likely choose it. Yes. And the stories of abuse that go on in the industry are rampant. And these yes. are the sorts of stories that come out when women end up quitting porn, like Pamela Anderson, of Jenna course. Jameson, Bella Knox, and so forth. Yeah. So yeah. I think this is a fantasy that we like to tell ourselves because yeah. we would much rather not believe that we are uh, arousing ourselves mm-hmm. to images of women who may have experienced some great degree of trauma in their past or maybe experiencing it now. Right, right. Maybe even experience it in, in filming whatever you're watching. Now, the, another myth I would think is that some people might feel that there is no hope, that I'm, I'm addicted, I'm always going to be addicted to porn. Is there hope for people who are struggling with this? Yeah, there definitely is. I think we have to stop thinking of freedom from porn as a destination, uh-huh. however, okay. and, and begin thinking of it as a daily choice that we make by our actions. Right. If we think of it as a destination, then, yeah, I mean, I don't know, when, when do you arrive at that point? How do you know you won't fall tomorrow or tonight? Right. You know, we never know these things. But very often people, Catholics, treat it like it is. They'll say things like, you know, what's the book I need to read? What's huh. the prayer I must pray? Am I wearing the right colored scapula or something? Yeah. But uh, when we think of it rather as a daily choice that we make by our actions, 
I think this is a much more helpful way to view it. Uh, so I think if one is addicted to pornography, they should decide to quit. And then the three things we found most helpful mm-hmm. when overcoming pornography long term, uh, those three things would be spiritual direction, therapy, mm-hmm. and finding a good 12-step group. Right. Uh, in our experience, those three things have brought about the most success. Right. Okay, that's good advice. Maybe good, good to leave it there. Um, thank you so much, Matt, for all the work that you do, and uh, in particular for this book. I, I found it very uh, easy to read and very insightful. So thanks for sharing it with us. Thanks. Matt Frad is a director of content development for Integrity Restored and best-selling author and popular speaker. He is also the co-creator of Victory, an app that provides a strategic battle plan for winning the struggle against pornography. His latest book, The Porn Myth, is published by Ignatius Press. You can learn all about it at thepornmyth.com. All royalties from The Porn Myth go to help Children of the Immaculate Heart, which is a not-for-profit a corporation out of San Diego, California, whose mission is to serve survivors of human trafficking. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, Dan Johansson, with Part 4, Saraband, from Bach's Suite Number no. 3 in C Major for Cello, from the soundtrack of Strangers on the Earth. That was Dane Johansson with a section of box suite number three in C major for cello. Um, that is from the soundtrack of the film Strangers on the Earth. Um, we might actually keep playing that track underneath because uh, it's so lovely. Um, the Camino de Santiago is probably the world's most popular pilgrimage. Every year, hundreds of thousands of people walk the route of St. James. One of these pilgrims was Dane Johansson. He's a cellist who walked the Camino with his instrument on his back, performing music for his fellow pilgrims along the way. Dane's journey is captured in the documentary film Strangers on the Earth. And to tell us all about it, I am now joined by Dane Johansson. Uh, Dane, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So, Dane, why did you want to walk the Camino? Well, it had been a... uh a project that I'd, I'd, I'd been kind of looking for a new way to approach box cello suites. Okay. And, you know, any cellist's life with these pieces is ongoing in a journey of sorts. Um, yeah. We start playing these pieces when we're very young, and, you know, I'll, I'll sur- I surely be uh, playing these pieces for the rest of my life. So um, it's a journey, and I had a composer friend who had taken his music on a journey. He, he's a... Uh, he, he walked 2,200 miles, I think, of the Appalachian Trail wow. and wrote 81 pieces for string quartet along the way. So uh-huh. in, the, in the summer of 2008, he was telling me about that adventure, and I got really excited about the idea and thought, wow, oh, I could do something like that with the box cello suites and my cello, and 
Okay. But so where would I do it? You yeah. Know? And so then I started looking for a venue, and I found the Camino de Santiago, and so it was a, it was sort of a process that evolved quite naturally. Interesting. Um, yeah. I didn't end up walking until 2014. Yeah. So I had a lot of time to plan and think about it, and. Um, but it kind of began in 2008 with the inspiration okay. from that. Friend. Yeah, it's interesting because I was going to ask you um, why the box suites, but obviously the whole journey begins for you with those box suites. Can you tell me a bit about those musical pieces? Well, as I said, they're very important um, elements of the of any cellist's repertoire. Yeah, and they're pieces that I've played many times um, and for you know for many years. And um, but I, I, I will say that my connection to those pieces is so much stronger now having had that experience along the Camino, performing yeah. them almost every night and sharing them with so many people. And sort of, you know, as I walked, thinking a lot about the music and reapproaching it every night and, and just trying to do something different with the music each time that I played it really deepened my connection to many aspects of that music and, and certainly deepened my interpretation of that music. So yeah, it was a wonderful experience. What, what would you say? I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by the fact that you, you, I mean, I would have thought that you picked the Camino because everybody knows the Camino, but did you, what was it about the Camino? And maybe now in retrospect, you, you're able to talk about it better, but do you see the, a relationship between that particular landscape or that weather or the, you know, what, what, what made you pick that particular pilgrimage route as a venue, as you call it, for, for these musical pieces? Right. Well, there, was, it, there were many reasons, um, but probably the most obvious reason was that, um, as you said, hundreds of thousands of people walk the Camino every year. And my goal as, a, as an interpretive musician was to share music with people. So right. finding a populated route was really important to me. I see. Um, it wouldn't have been much of a a, uh, a success at all, I think, if I'd walked the Appalachian Trail <laughs> by yourself, know, yeah. half That's a dozen right. people along the way. So that was that was one reason, and then another another was you know that kind of developed as I thought more about it. Um, is sort of the timelessness of both box music. I mean, this, these are pieces that were written three hundred years ago, yeah, and they're still, I think, very powerful and relevant pieces of music for people today. Uh-huh. Um, and there aren't too many, um, there aren't too many great works of art that are so well known mm-hmm. that are so old, yeah. right? So, or at least they, they, they belong in very, very good company, very select company. Right. So, and the Camino de Santiago is similar in that it's this route that's been, um, yeah. revisited and revisited by so many people over hundreds of years. Yes. And there's there's this this idea that um, this route and this journey I think can can very easily be linked to this music that keeps being experienced over and over and over again mm-hmm. by so many individuals who each connect with it in their own way. No. And yeah. So I think the two are actually very you know they go quite well together. Yeah. They, and not... then the third reason that I okay. really like the box suites along the Camino de Santiago is that I got to play in '36. Beautiful I was ancient gonna, churches. I was going to, and ask they you were all that. so different from one yeah. another. I was going to ask you about so that, that. Really, yeah. Because when I first heard about this project, I thought, well, cool. Like he would like walk and 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 just sit down somewhere and play his cello. But you actually had, uh, I presume, organized concerts throughout in churches along the way, right? 
That's how it works. Well, so it began. It began as something more like what you imagined. It, yeah, that that was my idea. Really. And then I was actually just serendipitously getting to know a cellist in Spain because I thought, well, I'm going to be walking through his town. Maybe I can connect with some young cellists. Yeah. So I contacted this teacher, um, Diego Arbizu, at the um, conservatory in Pamplona. Pamplona. Yeah. And he, he, I told him about the project and my plan. He said, well wait, you know, you're not going to be able to just show up and play in these churches without permission. Okay. You have to get permission. Yeah. And sort of, you know, sort of, that was the first time that somebody actually brought a little reality into the, mm-hmm. you know, into my dream. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, um, and so then we, he, he was very generous. He and another woman from Spain, Irena Tosino, who was a, actually a friend of mine from New York, but she grew up in Spain. They helped me connect with all of these priests along the way and get permission to perform music in all of the churches. Mm-hmm. And um, the film kind of elaborates a little bit on the fact that it began as this idea to make a recording of the box suites in all these churches. Okay. And then in order to get permission to play in all of those places, I had to open um, open things up to the communities and, and, and it became, as you said, a series of organized Interesting. Along the Fascinating. Way. Nonetheless, I mean, but you still walk. How many? Uh, which route did you do? Did you do all four weeks or six hundred kilometers? I was there. I was walking for forty days. Okay. So, yeah. Um, and it was about five hundred eighty yeah. miles total. Nice. So uh, I yeah. walked from the the border between France and Spain yeah. in the Pyrenees to the Atlantic Ocean to the to all the way to Finisterre. Did you? Um, uh, I mean, obviously, you had the the cello with you. Our co-host, my one of my co-hosts of the show, Emily, earlier in the program, she wanted to know. So, like, where was his backpack? So, just oh. <laughs> practically, did you have a cello and a backpack? Did you stuff all your like clothing in the cello case? How did you manage that? Or um, well, I, <laughs> so one of the themes that I was dealing with and really living with along the Camino was, you know, was the idea of simplicity because. Yeah, that really seemed to me to be the best way to approach um, that that period of time is just to make it as simple as possible. So, because I, I, you know, just physically, I couldn't carry very much more than the cello. Yes. So I didn't bring very many things with me. I had a change of clothes, like one change of clothes. So nice. you know, every couple of days I was doing laundry, <laughs> and um, that's it. I had yeah. a, a, a very basic sleeping roll and some personal items and some rain gear. Right. And that was pretty much it. Yeah. So I had, and I had all those things kind of strapped to the cello case and tucked inside and everything. So it was, it was pretty manageable. Yeah. Now, everybody I know that has done the Camino, I mean, they come back with lots of great stories. Is there one story or one person, you must have met lots of people along the way. Um, any, any, anything of that journey that really stands out that you can share with us? Well, you know, that's a, that's a really difficult question to answer because I have so many yes, memories of so many important people who were influential along the way um, and really shaped my experience. I'll share with you one story that I think was kind of um, a good representation of the way things seem to happen on the Camino. So mm-hmm. what I kept finding was that if you just kind of brought your best self and your best um, flexibility to any situation that things generally sort of worked out very well, you know, and I I think that's, you know, maybe that's just kind of more part of my outlook on life, but, um, but one story really stands out to me, um, related to that kind of idea. 
and it was that we you know we were recording in all these churches and and putting on community concerts in all these places and and every priest along the way had already given permission but after we had recorded and filmed in in the location we needed a a, a signature on a release form you know from someone to just so that we could, you know, cover ourselves later if there was any, somebody took issue with the material we were using in the film. Right. And so one guy decided that he was going to kind of shake us down and said that we'd have to pay him to sign the paper. Really? And so we went to the bank and withdrew some money, and we did, we were really operating on a shoestring budget. I mean, everybody had like 10 euros per day, Yeah. period. And so, you know, we, we thought, okay, well, we'll do our do what we can. So we went to the bank and withdrew some, some money and got back and he saw how much cash we had and doubled his asking price. Wow. And so we ended up giving the guy 200 euros for his signature and, um, you know, went on our way. Well, a few days later, we were in another town with another church and another priest, another community, and we had a really nice experience there. And on the way out of town the next morning, um, the priest was outside along the road and he stopped me and, and gave me a, a card um, and thanked me for being there and thanked us for being there and, and for the experience. And so it was very nice. We parted ways. And later on down the road, I opened the card and he tucked 200 euros inside. Nice. And it was just sort of this beautiful moment of, oh, well, every, you know, everything is kind of just keeps working out along this yeah. journey. And, um, there's, there was, there, it seemed like everything kind of kept finding a nice balance. Yeah. So I don't know, different people might interpret that story differently, but I, I, I yeah. really enjoyed that, that story. And I, I, I carry that memory for yeah, sure. For sure. I'm sure that, and many, many, many more memories. Sounds like it was a wonderful experience and, and it sounds like it's a wonderful film. I encourage people to look, look it up. Uh, thank you, Dane, for sharing a bit of, uh, a bit of that with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. Dane Johansson is a professional cellist who performs throughout the world as a soloist and also as a chamber musician. You can learn more about the film Strangers on the Earth and uh, where you can watch it at the film's website, S-O-T-E, so Strangers on the Earth, S-O-T-E-Film.com. I'm going to put that link on our site so that you can also uh, find it easily, S-O-T-E. Film.com. Here now is another track from the soundtrack of the film. This one is the prelude of Bach's suite number no. five in C minor.
We're listening to Dane Johansson playing the prelude of Bach's Suite Number no. 5 in C minor from the soundtrack of the film Strangers on the Earth. And that will bring us to the end of our program this week. Remember that you can always reach us via email at radio at saltandlighttv.org. We're also on Facebook or Twitter at Salt and Light TV. And I'm at Emmy Callen. And Billy is B. Joe Chan at B. Joe Chan. And you can reach me, Deacon Pedro, through Facebook or Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM. We promise to read everything you send and even read some of it on the air. So go right now to your computer and send us an email or Facebook or Twitter message. You need to do it now because we really desperately want to hear from you. Yes. So just write to us and tell us that you're listening or something and tell us where you're listening from. If you missed any part of this program, you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light programs at that same webpage, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And that's also where we post links to our artists and guests. So thank you for listening. May you continue having a blessed Easter season. I'm Emily Callen. And I'm Deacon Pedro. And this has been the, the Salt, Salt and Light, Light Hour. Hour.